Is the girl ready? To give up her hopes and dreams, her loves and hates, forever. A Lannister and a Marta. They have no idea how dangerous that is. She wants to drag our name through the dirt. If all comes to Westeros, will the Knights of the Vale fight for their king? Your Grace, I live to serve. This week on the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 6, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, written by Brian Cogman and directed by Jeremy Podeswa. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, TV editor of SoundOnSight.org, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, normally we start these out by, I say, how's it going? But um, this is probably the first episode of Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones podcast that I, I really didn't want to do. Um, I'm not ready to talk about this episode yet. It's funny, because when the episode ended last night, I actually had a chance to get a head start on my reviews because I'm not working today because it's a holiday here in Canada. And I just, I just couldn't find the motivation to write a review. So I put it on hold. So I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. We're going to dive in here with, with this episode, uh, unbowed, unbent, unbroken episode six of season five, uh, written by Brian Cogman, directed by Jeremy Pedeswa. Uh, but first let's welcome to the podcast, a new contributor, uh, to soundonsite.org. We're very excited to have him on the team and here to talk about this episode, uh, Victor Stiff. Look, Victor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And Happy Victoria Day to fellow Canadian Ricky. See, I, I'm as an American, I have no idea what this is. Uh, this is a national holiday, I take it? This is our version of, I believe you have Memorial Day next week. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, yes. I, I, I think I knew that, um, now, that you, now that you mention it. Well, we're going to talk about this week's episode of Game of Thrones, and we're going to talk about the reason I didn't wasn't looking forward to this podcast, uh, which is of course what happens in this episode with Sansa, but we're going to talk about that last. We're going to put that off as long as we can. Um, but before we get into the rest of the episode and talk about all the many storylines that we checked in on here this week, let's start by saying, of course, there will be no spoilers in this episode. We are only going to talk about things that have already happened on the show up to this point. We will not talk about the next week on or any things that we may have heard about the last four episodes of the seasons. There will be no spoilers. And if we talk about book things, which <laughs> when we talk about book things in this episode, which will happen, it will only be things that have not that have already happened on the show or changes that have been made. There will be no book spoilers here as well. I've read the books. Um, I'm a little shaky on some of it. It's been a while, but I have read them. Ricky has not read the books. Victor, what's your relationship with the Game of Thrones source material? I've read the first three. I'm on the fourth, and I'm actually halfway through, so I'm about exactly where we are in the series right now. Fair enough. Uh, well, let's let's start out this episode with the the title of, of the episode and the characters that, you know, that... that 
speak those lines, which is the Sand Snakes are back this week. On the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago when we first saw them, I asked Ricky, you, you, your thoughts about these characters, and you thought it was a little early to give opinions on them. Uh, were you glad to see them pop up again here and with such a exciting fight sequence? I think it was Simon who uh, who said he wasn't too uh, happy about the Sand Snakes a while back, like two episodes ago. Touche. What did you What did you think? No, I actually enjoyed the introduction of those characters on that um, on episode four, I believe it was. I don't know. I mean, once again this week, I don't want to be the negative guy, but I was underwhelmed with this episode, and here we finally get to see the sequence which I was really excited to see, which is Jamie and Braun face off against the Sand Snakes. And although the fight choreography was pretty awesome, it was also cut short. And that kind of left me a little disappointed. So I'm not entirely sure if I liked what's happening over at Dorne. I mean, Dorne was hyped up as like this great place with amazing people. And I was, I was all pumped to visit Dorne. And so far I'm somewhat underwhelmed. I mean, so the title of the episode is called Unbound, Unbent, Unbroken, which takes its name from the words of House of Martell, right? So I was expecting a lot of sequences that would focus around the Sand Snakes, around Dorne, around all of these characters who we don't yet know. But that's not actually the case. There was very little screen time devoted to Dorne this week. So for me as a viewer, I was somewhat disappointed. I don't think the scenes were terrible. And I do appreciate the comedy from Braun and Jamie. I like Braun's reaction when the fight is stopped and how he sort of like taunts and aggravates the Sand Snake ladies, but overall, it was still somewhat underwhelming for me as a viewer. Well, and if we're going to talk about Doran, we're going to talk about Brown. We got to mention it's 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 fabulous that they find another excuse for Jerome Flynn to sing this week, uh, which was was delightful. Um, but Victor, what did you think of the Sand Snakes and of that fight scene in particular? I am very underwhelmed with what's going on in Doran. We're six episodes in, and we haven't spent as much time there as I thought we would. Um, I understand there's so many characters and so many places to go, but we just like flash to the sand snakes and we see these angry ladies and there's there's no depth to their characters. Like, they're just these these rage monsters. Um, and I felt everything was just so rushed and forced in that uh, Braun and Jamie arrived in Dorne at the same moment that the sand snakes were launching their attack and the, they just walked into the water gardens with the princess and I felt like someone just hit the fast forward button on the show. Well, and especially when you compare the journey to Danny that we've seen take up so much of this season with uh, Tyrion and Varys and then Tyrion and uh, and Jorah, they keep hitting snags along the way, whereas it just seems like the most convenient trip to, to Dorne ever with Jamie and Bronn. And certainly, I mean, I, I like the sand, sand stakes from the books, and I'm... I'm primed to enjoy them so much on this on the show, uh, and I definitely am a fan of Indira Varma, who so rarely gets um, when she's cast. I feel like she's very rarely given enough material. I feel like she's uh, usually underserved in the at least what I've seen her in. I, I have a lot of uh, appreciation of that actress, and you can't introduce a whole new world of the show without actually spending some time in it. And we do spend time, for example, this week we spend a lot of time in the House of Black and White, and I think that really works, because uh, that's a completely new chapter or, or corner of the show. But if you, to, to compare that to what we get in Braun, we, we need to, <laughs> what we get in Braun, to compare that with what we get in Dorne, we need to have at least that much time spent there if we're going to see those the Sand Snakes as anything other than a collective. I don't know their names, uh, from watching the show, that is. I 
you know, if I'm just watching this and I don't have the books to to base it off of, which is what, as showrunners, that's that's the job of Game of Thrones, to be accessible and to work just as well for non-book readers as it does for book readers. They do not have individual identities at all, and they just... So far, they're wasting these characters, and they're they're really letting down viewers with, with Dorne, and with all Dorne had the promise to be when we met the Red Viper last season. Yeah, you know, I understand that there's only about 45 to 55 minutes per episode, and there's only 10 episodes, and there's like a 1,000 characters, but this feels like the biggest anti-climax in the history of Game of Thrones, like, to the point where they've hyped these characters to be so amazing, so cool, like, female badassery you know and i just walked away from watching mad max fury road and i like watched <laughs> this episode of game of thrones and i'm like you know what i kind of just want to watch mad max again because what is going on here not only is the fight sequence cut short but what exactly was jamie's plan i mean to the point where they actually include a line of dialogue in which braun asks J jamie he's like well what's your plan he's like well i don't really have a plan and clearly you don't have a plan because the whole thing like victor says feels rushed and constricted and so they arrive at, at, at the palace. I guess it's a palace. I'm not entirely sure where Marcella is staying. They find Marcella right away. And then what exactly is Jamie's plan? Like, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm confused as to what exactly Jamie's plan is. It's like, hey, niece, daughter, let's, I'm here to save you. Let's just kidnap you back to Westeros. Yeah, exactly. Especially because it seems like she's quite happy there. I'm sure she would like to see her family and all, but why would you want to stay in King's Landing if you are not terrible? You know? Um, so, so yeah, that's definitely a little difficult. And certainly, you know, he, Jamie's not much of a planner usually, but even to just go back to the fight choreography and um, just as a PSA, if you haven't seen Fury Road um, and you like movies, go see Fury Road and see it on the biggest screen you can. Uh, I don't, I can't recommend 3D because I haven't seen that and I feel like it might have melted my brain even more, but go see Fury Road guys because it's insane and just needs to be seen to be believed. Um, this fight scene, however, really, instead of making it this climactic confrontation from these two you know, badass forces of Bronn and Jamie and the Sand Snakes, I just left the thing underwhelmed by the Sand Snakes because, you know, th this is a show that can do epic battle scenes, ep epic duels. When we had uh, Brienne and the Hound last year, it was a titanic conflict of equals and ridiculously proficient fighters. Here, I just spent it thinking... Wait, are you kidding me? One of these sand snakes can't take on a barely competent Jamie? Why, yeah. like, instead of leaving it feeling like the sand snakes were these were the equals of Jamie and Bronn and they were in danger, I just really felt like they were just kind of delayed and slowed down and uh, Bronn was taking on two of them at once with seemingly little difficulty and Jamie, who we've been led to believe is almost incompetent at this point as a, as a fencer, as a fighter, um... Is is making easy work, it seems, of, of the other sand snake. I don't. Oh, Victor, did did you have a similar problem with that choreography, or or were you just more focused on the these other elements, these other issues with the the Dorn storyline? I thought all the exact same things. Uh, I felt that the battle was the equivalent of a schoolyard slap fight. Like we've seen some very good fight choreography, particularly uh, their their father Oberon 
fighting the mountain. It was incredible the way he wielded his spear and was flipping around. And this was just people furiously waving their, their swords and whips around. It was all chaos. Nothing was coming of it. Um, I did notice, though, that they slashed Bronn with one of their spears. And I'm wondering if that's going to lead to something because their father is notorious for putting poison in his spears. And all he needs to do is get a brief nick on you and you're doomed. Yeah, that was definitely Chekhov's uh, slice <laughs> or, or like flesh wound, certainly. Um, I, I saw a lot of people keying into that. And with the way the camera lingered on it, um, I yeah. would anticipate that we, do, we, we will have more than one person facing a very serious, if not fatal, injury or skin malady, as it were. Now, hold on a second. Last week, one of my major complaints was, and our guest last week wasn't too pleased with how negative I was. To be fair, I was very negative. But one of my major complaints last week was, we have all of these great warriors. And so far in season five, we haven't seen these great warriors be great warriors. And once again, the same applies here to the Sand Snakes. And to be fair to the stuntmen and the stunt doubles in this scene, I don't think they did a bad job. I think my problem with it is the way it was written and directed, because if I had written and directed the scene, I would have had the Sand Snakes kick Braun and Jamie's ass, and then I would have the troops come in, stop the fight, and take everyone away, be it, I don't know if they're actually going to arrest the Sand Snakes, and or they're just trying to stop them from actually killing Jamie and Braun, but whatever, I would have actually had directed and written the se sequence in a way where the Sand Snakes would have showed how badass they are and would have beaten the crap out of Ron and Jamie. That would have made them more exciting characters, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, it's a little confusing the way it's it's shown. Um, and we should also, of course, the stunt women uh, involved as well. So it's, it's not just guys out there. But um, this is a very, very talented crew when it comes to stunts most of the time. And I would say that the fight scene we got last time with uh, Sir Barristan and Grey Worm was a much more effective and much more um, uh, fraught fight scene. I was much more concerned about the characters in that than I was here. Um, but, yeah, I'm hoping that we will get more and better from them to come. If not, this is going to feel like quite a... a a low point of the season and, and just again for me a waste of a potentially narratively rich part of the world yeah it's 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 what i like to call an arrow fight sequence where in a tv show arrow there's like this big epic fight sequence in every episode but there's no suspense no one really cares who's going to walk away the winner because we all know no one's going to get hurt and it just feels it, it doesn't have that same excitement you know uh well i'm gonna just just ch chime in quickly to say that I, I actually think the stunts and fight sequences on Arrow are really good most of the time. Though this season, you know, there's been some issues with stakes and with character that I can't really argue. But yes, but no, I hear, I see what you're saying. It's the writing. It's 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 the writing that goes into it and the way it's directed. It's not the, the stunts and or the fight choreography. It's just the way it's directed. Like, you still have to build up suspense. You know, you can't just have a fight sequence just so we watch a bunch of people swing swords. Yeah. You know, then that's why you're right, where when we did get Sir Barristan fighting on episode four, I believe it was at the very end, it was a much better fight sequence. And the end result was we didn't know if so-and-so would die. And clearly Sir Barristan died, which was a big shock for us the following week. Yeah. Well, let's let's transition to that, that other part of the world. We have now uh, Tyrion and Ser Jorah headed towards Slaver, Slaver's Bay and Marine. Theoretically, this will be a faster way to get them towards Danny. Um, I was just grateful with those scenes to get some comedy 
uh, the, all, of, all of the discussion of dwarf penises uh, I thought was pretty entertaining, uh, and I definitely laughed out loud a few times there. Uh, how did that sequence work for you guys? Uh, and Victor, I'll go to you first. And is it is it too convenient or cute to have Sir Jorah, who lost his, his knighthood and his, was disgraced for being a slave merchant, um, to have him kidnapped by slavers and, and enslaved, or is that just rewards? Like, is it satisfying, or is it a little too on the nose for you, Victor? I think it's a little bit too on the nose. At this point, I'm happy with anything that will just get them towards Daenerys quicker. Um, we're six episodes in, and it, it, you know, going into the season, it really felt like this was going to happen, and now I'm not anticipating them crossing paths until you know, maybe the climax, episode 10 of this season. So if we got to get Ser Jorah uh, fighting in the slave pits and redeeming his honor, uh, so be it. What do you think, Ricky? Yeah, I agree with you, Kate. I think I really enjoy the humor, and it gives us something to look forward to because I do want to see Ser Sir Jor- Sir- Sir Jorah in the fighting pits. It might give us a really kick-ass action sequence. The problem with this scene is it's too short because it's my favorite scene in the entire episode like i loved everything that revolved around Tyrion and jorah to the point where i always say this each and every single week i think the best moments of game of thrones are the quietest moments and the second best moment of this episode is when Tyrion reveals to jorah that his dad the lord commander mormont died so i believe his dad was the the lord commander of nightwatch right Mm -hmm. and i completely forgot that these two characters were, were related because correct me if I'm wrong, but we've never actually seen those two characters in the same scene in the TV show. No, no. So, so it was a nice little reminder. And also I just love the performance from the actor. I love how it was, he was very silent. And then Tyrion realized that he didn't know that his dad died. I thought that was a really well-directed and well-written sequence. And those are the moments that I really like. And again, it's a scene that revolves around Tyrion, who's my favorite character in the TV show, which is why I cannot wait for him to get to Marine because my big problem with season five is everything that revolves around Danny. Yeah, England's performance is very good in that scene, definitely. And as soon as we got in the previously on, previously ons, as soon as we saw Tyrion at the wall, I, I the feeling the scene was coming or something like it was coming. I always enjoy when they allow the characters to make the connections that, as viewers, we theoretically have made. And uh, in, in, if he survives, I look forward to um, the potential for Jorah to meet Jon Snow. And of course, Jon Snow is wielding uh, Jorah's father's blade, his sword, which is the family's, you know, the, the, that's the sword of, of the Mormonts. And so the, the potential for, you know, a scene like that is, that's a, the thing that the show can do, that it really can have, get a lot of power from. There are all these connections that are just waiting to be deployed at the right moment. So having this come up here, I thought was very successful. Um, did it work for you, Victor? What I found very interesting is that Tyrion was actually asking the questions that people on the show have not asked. Uh, So many shows, uh, since we saw Mr. Echo making an appearance as a Mm -hmm. slave or pirate, I'll use Lost as an example, uh, you have a lot of characters crossing paths, and there's questions that the audience is just saying, why are they not speaking to each other? There's important events going on, they should be discussing them. Uh, And Tyrion addressing why Daenerys has any right to go to Westeros and rule a land she's never stepped foot in, like that's an incredible question especially because uh 
she's not doing a great job in marine she's she's very young and inexperienced it's it's, it's this perception of loyalties and being loyal to a bloodline or an alliance as opposed to uh, having any merit into advancing your goals yeah i totally agree and that's a question i've been asking on the podcast for weeks now i mean what makes us think that daenerys is actually going to be a great leader because i don't think she's going to be a great leader and for the last three weeks i've actually stated i think that if anyone takes the iron throne it's going to be sansa stark so I'm not expecting Daenerys to actually come out the victor by the end of season seven. Yeah, um, we'll get to Sansa, but I want to stay over in, you know, out of Westeros for, for a little bit longer here because I want to, you know, check in with how you guys are feeling about uh, Arya and what we get this week with Jack and Hagar. Still love that name. And the House of Black and White. Did you like the reveal or like the catacombs that we see in this notion of, I mean, I really liked that we get Jack and Hagar very aware that she is not ready if she ever will be to to be no one that's not something she is capable of right now but this this tease of her being someone else that could be interesting victor i'm actually i'm getting a little bored of what's going on in the house of black and white i feel like instead of seeing uh aria acquiring skills and becoming this badass she's going to be she just keeps getting knocked down and they, they keep repeating what she's not, what she's not. She's not becoming no one. Um, so that when she actually came forward and uh, spoke to the dying girl and proved that she learned how to lie, that was the first time we've seen her actually acquire this skill that they've been, uh, it's the first time that she evolved. Um, when they went down into the catacombs, uh, I think it was the, the music, the soundtrack, the pulsating score, it felt epic, it felt momentous. And even though I was bored with what was going on, it felt like the first step onto a journey. Uh, like Ricky mentioned that he feels like she's going to be the one to capture the Iron Throne. No, he said Sansa. Oh, Sansa, I'm sorry. Um, it just, it felt like all of a sudden she's important again. Um, instead of just being this, she's going on this journey where she's just repeating things over and over. It felt like she's finally, she's, it's going to get interesting for me. Ricky, I know you haven't been in, uh, enthused necessarily with Arya's storyline so far this season. Did this change, turn things around for you? Sort of. Visually, it was amazing. I love the sequence where she walks into that giant hall and we see all the heads. But I feel at times the show is stretching small bits of material over the course of the entire season. And it's, like Victor said, it's very repetitive, right? And so, once again, I'm underwhelmed with Arya's storyline. Compare Arya's storyline and everything that happens with her character in season five as opposed to season four, season three, it doesn't compare. I mean, she was like a highlight reel last season, especially when she was traveling with the Hound, right? The thing about this episode that really bugs me is I don't know what to make of the scene in which she's visited by a dad and his sick daughter, does she, like, pretty much convince this young girl to commit suicide? Is that is that what happens? Well, it's basically euthanasia. That's why people come to the House of the Dying. They, the House of Black and White, they come there to die. Right. Um, and so, like, this, the notion that she's got this terminal illness that is keep putting her in constant pain. And there is, they've tried everything. There is no cure. So is there a way for her to die peacefully and that's to drink the water. And so Arya eases her and, you know, calms her and tries, gives her, gives her some hope and then has her drink from the pool and that kills her. 
we're led to believe in as peaceful a way as could be possible. Okay. <laughs> I'm not I, sure. See, so you I didn't get all that? <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly, exactly what I thought. And I'm not sure how I feel about this. So, is this her character arc for season five? She's supposed to be the little girl who convinces little girls that it's okay to die by drinking this water, which is poison because you are suffering. I don't know. Like, how does this change Arya's character arc? Like, how does it stop Arya from, from growing darker and darker? Maybe I was reading too much into it, but I felt like the lesson wasn't that she learned to tell a convincing lie. I'm thinking that she learned that the easiest lie to tell is the one people want to hear. Uh, she provided the girl and her father with comfort in the moment when they needed it the most. And even though that story was never going to be true, that's what they wanted to hear. And that's what she was able to sell them. Well, and I think it also ties, you know, it's this is exploring and changing Arya's relationship with death. It's always been a very violent and a very painful thing for this girl. At least what it seems to me the show is telling us in this episode, death is a relief. Death is can be a gift. Death can be a you know a release from unending suffering and pain. And so for Arya, who's been so defined by her anger and her uh, her desire for vengeance and and violence, to to have this different relationship with to see this different relationship with death and what it can be and to get to get a respect for death and also the dying i think that is a, an important lesson for her to learn and and this is a character who's always been she's always been more defined by action than anything else and so to watch her so calmly and stilly prepare this body that we see which we see her doing earlier i think that's something new for her she did this she's learning new patience and she may not have uh you know necessarily fully embrace that yet but it's she she seems much more calm and focused on her task rather than in the past when we've seen her that focus it's been she because she's been consumed with uh vengeance and with uh with a specific goal not because she's serving others i guess not my problem but i guess the reason why aria's story isn't working for me so much season five is because I'm not entirely sure how it's going to relate to everything else that's going on. Like she's so removed from the rest of Westeros that how is this going to impact her character moving forward? Like she's clearly going to leave the house of black and white. She didn't throw away needles. She buried needles. She knows exactly where to get back her little sword in this episode. She is not ready to become no one, but she's ready to become someone else. So that tells me that basically she's never going to be no one, which was obvious from the start. So I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's like this detour for a character. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how it's going to tie into the rest of the storyline. That's all. So it's one of those things where like, you know, maybe it'll be, maybe like come the end of the season, I can reflect back on the scenes with Arya and I can appreciate these scenes much more. But right now I'm, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. Yeah. For me in, in under getting an understanding and a respect for death, that I see that giving Arya an understanding and a respect for life in a different way, and as opposed to like the childish, um, you know, all life is is beautiful and sacred kind of approach that we may have assumed for her at the beginning of the series. Um, I, I think it it will shape that part of her. At least that's what I see. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's hard to foresee how this will specifically tie in, other than if she learns to become someone else and to do that awesome 
Jack and Hagar trick that could make for some very convenient storytelling narrative or like overlaps moving forward. Uh, what what did you think of, of that, Victor? Are you similarly um, frustrated with the disconnection of this corner of the show? Well, it's it's difficult to say at this point um, because obviously, unless the show is going to do a time jump like five years, she cannot go through her faceless man training. So at some point, she's going to have to get out of there. And as you were mentioning earlier, we saw the new Arya meticulously just prepping this body, like with the, the care of someone trimming a bonsai tree. Um, except when she didn't get her way, when she didn't pass her first test in the, the lying game, she flipped the switch and instantly went back to old Arya. So we know, we know it can't last. We know she can't stay there, but we're not really seeing what she's getting out of it quite yet. So it's a, a little bit frustrating. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely one I think you're right, Ricky. We're going to have to see how it comes together at the end of the season, if it does. Um, let's let's talk about the last non-Sansa part of the show, and that's uh, that'll tie us in with Sansa as well. But let's talk about King's Landing and what we get with Cersei and Marjorie and Loras, as well as with, with Baelish. Uh, it was great to have the Queen of Thorns back, right? Diana Rigg. Dame Diana Rigg, my bad. Yeah, loved. I love the. Where's the veil? I, okay, so great to see her talking with uh, with Cersei. Um, did Did you guys have any trouble with the lack of uh, protestation from the army and from Tom? I mean, I guess not Tommy because of how they've developed him and shown him to be useless on his own. <laughs> but but when the queen gets taken away, is it surprising to you guys that the Kingsguard doesn't step in? No, you see them reflexively act, um, but if the king is not commanding them to, I mean, she's married into the royal family. Their priority, even though they are the king's guard, is Tommen. So if they were taking Tommen away, I could see a stronger reaction. But for Marjorie, um, no, I, I, I can understand the way it went down. Was I surprised? No. Tommen's the best. <laughs> I love Tommen. <laughs> He's so naive, so innocent, so nice, so clueless, has no idea what to do or how to react. And it's just kind of funny to watch him beat a king of King's Landing. Like, I think it's hilarious. Like, <laughs> the Lannisters are the most interesting family in this TV show. Even their least interesting character or the least interesting family member, Tommen, is still far more interesting than, say, the Boltons, I think. I just love this character. Yeah, I don't know. I like, I actually, the reason why I like the scene spent with Cersei this week is because last week I was, I was expressing my concern for the fact that most of the best characters on the show, not most of, but a lot of the best characters on the show, a lot of my favorite characters have died. And that includes the core villains like Tywin and Joffrey, for example, right? And so I was like, who's the big badass villain of season five? Who's the one that's pulling strings apart from Peter Baelish? Who is the person that I'm just going to despise and want to throw my controller at the TV every time I see he or she on the TV screen? And Cersei steps up this week, right? She clearly is no Tywin, and she's nowhere close to being as despicable as King Joffrey, but I like the fact that she has a few cards up her sleeve, and this week she shows her her plan. And her plan is, it's I wouldn't even call it a good plan, because I'm not entirely sure how it's a good plan for her. I mean, to the point where the High Sparrow can 
imprison the queen i mean that means they can do whatever they want to her also like she's she's giving them so much power but she is so desperate we get the sequence in which peter baelish goes back to king's landing has this like two minute meeting with cersei and it only takes him like 10 seconds to realize that she totally fucked everything up in the like few days that he's been away you know and he's and and it's it's like it's like, I mean, she, her hatred for Marjorie is so strong that she's willing to give Peter Baelish anything he basically wants because all she cares about is just destroying the Martells at this point in time. She just wants to destroy Marjorie, especially, and her hatred for Marjorie is blinding her. And she's making some really irrational decisions. Yeah, let maybe don't empower people who want to, uh, I punish all uh, sexual deviancy or what they consider to be sexual deviancy uh, when you have a bunch of illegitimate children by your brother, you know, maybe that's not clamp down on, uh, on the sexual mores of your society. Uh, I look for, I, I assume at some point that's going to come into play with the high sparrow and it's going to be super satisfying when it does uh, as much as I can't help, but hate, the sparrows for their treatment of, of, uh, for, for just creating this like puritanical, um, society. It, one of the positive things about Game of Thrones for me has been comparative to its setting and the kind of medieval idea it's trying to convey, whether or not that's accurate. Um, there's some really great articles out there discussing how accurate a depiction of medieval society this show actually is. Um, I encourage people to check it out, but, for the most part, it's been a show very accepting of of different di differing sexualities, and uh, and it's been it, at times very sex positive when it's not being horribly uh, rapey. We'll get there. Um, so to have you know to to have Loris carted away, and uh, to have all of this coming, you know, to to see this puritanical society, these uh, the the High Sparrow and the the Sparrows gaining such power um i think it, it sets them up to be a really powerful villain as well when as seems like it has a lot of potential um to happen cersei gets taken down by them she gets bitten by her own um her own over eagerness to take out the the tyrells um tyrells but um yeah the, the, the i you got to love the dornish birthmark coming up but that's i mean all all he has to say is that he slept with a woman and she told Oliver. I mean, it just seems like that's even, but maybe it's because of his reaction that they're, they're arresting him, but that just seems like it's really thin. I totally agree. And when I was watching this scene, I was like, there's a million ways you can rebuttal this sequence. There's actual, there's actually no physical proof, but this is like, you know, not our society, modern day. Like, yeah, the point is, is that it's the way he reacted. Like he did have this emotional reaction and, yeah. and I think they knew he would react that way. And, and no matter what the high sparrow walked in knowing they were going to win because they are clearly, they, they, they clearly have an alliance to some degree with Cersei and Cersei's using them to do her evil doing. But it's like I said last week, Cersei is all about the moment. She's, she's, she's smart, but she's, she's, she, she lets her emotions take over. And so right now, all she cares about is winning at this very specific moment of time. I wouldn't be surprised if the actual king is arrested because, you know, he is technically the son of Cersei and Jaime, and everyone knows this. Well, and also, just... Uh, this, 
Oliver was his squire, which means he's in charge of changing him and putting on his armor. So, yeah, it would be weird if he hadn't seen him naked. At least that's, you know, that's what dressers do, right? I, what yeah. do you think about about this, Victor? I think that Game of Thrones is very good at subverting our expectations. And we can see this, this turning from the sparrows on Cersei coming from a mile away. We all know it's a bad idea, and we're all getting excited to see her get taken down. And I just feel like it won't go that smoothly. Like, they like to set up uh, these heroes and have the heroes fall. And it likes to give us villains, and we watch the villains win over and over again. So I'm not... I, I want to believe the Sparrows are going to come after Cersei, but I, I, I just can't say that's going to happen for sure. Fair enough. Uh, any thoughts on Baelish as we transition to the corner of the show I don't want to talk about, but we need to? Man, Peter Baelish, what exactly is his plan? Like, is his plan just to, uh, to have everyone kill everyone so then he's the only person left on the planet? Well, I mean, if he's getting the crown's approval to go march north with his army, that's a really convenient way to make that make sure that they don't suspect anything when then when you then take that army and march it back down south with your new ally to take on the Lannisters. Yeah. No, I, I, but but that's the thing. Does he want to take on the Lannisters? Like this I'm not entirely sure who he wants to win apart from himself. There's got to be an army that walks away to victor. Is it going to be Jon Snow and his army with with Stannis? Is it going to be the Boltons? Is it going to be what Peter Baelish leads an army? What, what's oh, the of, Knights of the Vale. The yes. Knights of the Vale. So is it going to be him and the Knights of the Vales? Like I, I just, I guess my question is, and I don't think anyone actually knows, but if Peter Baelish can, if he had a magic wand and he could put anyone on the throne except for him, right? Who would he choose? I'm, I'm not entirely sure who he would choose at this point in time. Littlefinger is a character we definitely need to get just a scene of exposition from because he's so. He's so slimy, and he's such a quick thinker. You don't know if everything is going exactly as he planned, or he's adapting his plans to go with whoever's winning right now. So, it's who could say? Yeah, it, and I think there's a combination of those because you can't trust anything he says to anyone who is a main character because he's always playing the game. Um, so that's the kind of character that having a first-person narration uh, point of view, you know, like the, in the books, that is very helpful for. Uh, I don't want them to have narration on the show or anything like that, but uh, it certainly makes, uh, it, it requires a lot from the actor, and who knows how much he knows about um, uh, game, uh, Baelish's uh, long-term game plan. But um, but yeah, it, it, it makes the character slippery but it also can become frustrating if you feel like the show is cutting corners or or retconning stuff You're like yeah that was his plan the whole time they'll have to be careful with that i think if they want it to to really stick the landing there but, and, but, go ahead but but the thing i'm confused about is why exactly does cersei request him to come back to king's landing like what was the point in him traveling all the way back to king's landing for a two-minute like conversation yeah it seemed like it was um Maybe it was because his absence from King's Landing was so pointed, but it it seemed like maybe it had to do with you know obviously all of his brothels have been you know raided and everything except that she put that into motion. So, um, is there something we're forgetting, Victor? I think he they made a comment about in their conversation. There's something they didn't trust a raven carrying. Am I wrong about that? No, but no. That, that that was because he he didn't want to tell her that he found Sansa Stark. 
But why did Cersei call him back to King's Landing? We understand why he went back to King's Landing, because he explains his whole entire plan in front of us. But why did she want him to go back? Yeah, I'm unsure of that one. Yeah. Um, well, listeners, if you know, if, you're, if, if we're forgetting something, please let us know. Drop us a line at the website or on Twitter. But I think we can't delay it any longer. Um, we got to talk about Winterfell and we got to talk about Sansa. And this is where we have to also talk about the books a little bit. Um, because as the the book reader, I, I don't know, um, have, have you gotten to the Jane chapters, Victor? I have not. You have not. So you haven't read the part of the books that this... Uh, this this corner of the show, at least right now, is based on. Um, so as the book reader of the group for this plot line, when Sansa went to, to Winterfell and t- took over sort of the storyline in the books that was given to a completely different character that's not even really been on the show, um, I was excited because... I I it was like, oh, great, they're changing things up. They're going to do something a little bit different. They have Brienne there and everything. So, like, it's there's it's diverting in such a significant way from what's in the book. Because what's in the book is a character that y'all don't know being raped and tortured and then hunted <laughs> by uh, by Ramsey, as as is implied that that has happened several times by Miranda and also by Ramsey in this episode. Um, and we get to watch it in the books or read it in the books and um, so when Sansa went there and was betrothed to, to Ramsay, there were a lot of book readers who were really upset um, because they didn't want to see that storyline just kind of Sansa plopped into that storyline. They didn't want to see her, uh, you know, tortured, basically raped. You know, they didn't want to see her go through that. And I was optimistic because I was like, oh, no, they're not going to do that. This, this show at this point understands it's problems with gender representation and with with rape and with using women's body as bodies as props and not fully exploring their issues after last season's ridiculous uh screw up about Cersei obviously being raped and yet the the writer and the director and the you know some of some of the actors not Lena Headey she has not commented on this thinking it was clear that Cersei hadn't been raped, whereas everybody who watched it thought it was clear she had been raped. It's just like, it seemed obvious that the show wasn't going to go there with Sansa because they had learned their lesson and they were going to, they had really cut down on using rape to be a plot point and not exploring it and not, and just torturing people for torture's sake. And then this happens. So we end the episode with Sansa's brutal rape by her new husband. And, so we can't possibly have the context for it because we don't know what's going to happen next. But the trouble I run into, and I think this is an issue for fans of comic books as well, I would guess, and I would love to get your, hear your guys' thoughts on this, as well as, you know, the way that, um, certain, you know, like Marvel and stuff have taken to having series of movies where they're hanging plot threads and everything. Um, but it's specifically a very television issue where we know that this is going to move forward and become an issue for the show and for the character. And we don't know how they're going to resolve it. So maybe they've got some great story up their sleeves and this had to happen for that, for that story to come into play. But given the show's history, given their treatment of, of women and their treatment of rape on this show, I do not trust the show to get this right. And I, I'm just very, upset with the show and I understand completely anyone who wants to break up with it after this episode. 
what did you guys think of this the this you know Sansa plotline and specifically the decision to have her get raped? Okay, so first of all, way back when Jamie raped Cersei, we got into sort of like a huge argument on the podcast because Kate misunderstood something I said in which I was saying that I didn't want to judge the rape scene for what it was until I saw how the rest of the season played out because it's episodic. And so I don't know how it's going to change her character and his character moving forward. And my argument was that, well, in the very first episode of Game of Thrones, we saw this man throw a little boy out the window and nearly killed this, this little boy. And he hasn't exactly been the purest, most innocent, good character on the show. So I wasn't shocked that a character like Jamie Lannister can rape Cersei, who he's already been sleeping with. But I want to see how they handle the rape sequence moving forward, which we can all agree they didn't really do. They just kind of ignored it, right? Yeah, the problem with the they show, don't seem to think it happened. Exactly. The problem, I, I, think, I, think, I think we can all agree that there is a problem with a TV show when every season one of the biggest complaints one of the biggest controversies one of the the one of the big one of the scenes which was which brings out the the most think pieces the most long form opinion pieces the most hatred and arguments online all revolves around rape it's not the first second third time it's the maybe the fourth fifth time i mean it's not just cersei and jamie it's not just carl and danny it's not just it's not just uh, Sansa and Ramsey, but remember, like when we had that sequence in which we see a bunch of women getting raped in the background when we visited like the wildlings down in the north, right before Sam killed the um, the uh, what should we call it, the giant with the uh, the stone? Yeah, at Craster's Keep. Right. Okay. I mean, it's 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 continuous, right? And so, so the thing about this sequence is, to be fair to the director, it's actually shot in a really I don't know if the if I'm going to use the word respectful way, but it's like, you know, you don't see her naked, you know, like they don't ask the actress to show her body. It's it's mostly off screen. You see the reaction of Reek instead of the reaction of her. Like, <laughs> we'll talk about that. So here's the thing. So the thing is, is that we all knew that Sansa was going to marry Ramsey, right? And so with a wedding, there's got to be a consummation. So we knew that there was a good chance that he and she would have sex on their wedding night, right? But for well, I didn't know that she they were going to actually get married. No, I said there was a good chance. I didn't know. I didn't think that there was a good chance that that was going to happen. I thought either Stannis would come down or Brienne would jump in before that happened. I could just finish. The point is, is that in this episode, we do actually see the wedding, right? So yeah. No, okay, the wedding's taking place, and now we're eventually going to get to this part of the storyline which we are dreading, right? But the thing is, is that I, no matter how you want to defend it, if you want to defend it, we're still watching a TV show which has this problem this reoccurring problem with showing rape over and over and over again so here's the way i feel about it personally okay i'm going to give you a really odd uh comparison i have a good friend who's a vegan right and of course she's one of my facebook friends and it, she continuously posted all of these posts right on facebook like she would publish all of these posts on facebook on the on her newsfeed wall which of course would appear on my wall and it was all these depressing news stories about animals being tortured and killed and whatnot and as much as i am an animal activist at one point in time i was like you know what i got to block her and or remove her from my facebook because i have to make the decision that i don't want to see this on a daily basis and or a weekly basis because it's making me feel terrible as a person you know what i mean i don't need to have it 
slammed down my throat or reminded about it over and over and over again, right? And that's how I kind of feel about Game of Thrones. It's like, I know what kind of world Westeros is. I know that there are evil people. I know that Ramsay's an evil person, and so is most of the men on the show. I know that most women in this world are most likely forced to having sex, especially on their wedding night, especially given that most marriages are arranged marriages. But do I need to walk away from a TV show every Sunday night feeling like shit? I felt horrible last night. Horrible. I was like, is this the way I want to end my Sunday night? To the point where I'm actually thinking about breaking up with the TV show. Because it's, it's, not, it's not a first offense here. It's, it's not the first time they've done this. And I'm just at the point where I'm just like fed up. And, and you, you mentioned that this is a change from the book. And in the book, you're right. It's a girl who poses to be Arya Stark, who marries Ramsay, and apparently the actual rape scene in the book is far more gruesome and horrific than the rape scene we get in this TV show. I don't fucking care. I'm not a reader of the book. I'm watching the TV show. And this TV show makes me feel terrible when I'm watching it. So do I want to continue to feel terrible watching the TV show? The answer is no. And so I, I think I'm at the point where I might finish off the season of Game of Thrones because I've committed to the podcast and writing reviews, but I think I'm done with the show, Kate. Fair enough. Victor, what did you think about it? Uh, kind of like I mentioned before, this is a show. It, it dangles the carriage in front of you, and just before you get in, get to it, it like pulls the carpet out right beneath you, and you go stumbling down. And it showed us that Sansa had learned some of Littlefinger's lessons, and uh, during the bathtub scene, she stood up for herself, and she looked like the new Sansa, and she was strong and proud, and she was going to make a difference, only to have her be raped a few moments later. Uh, it's it's absolutely brutal. I don't see the need for it. Uh, it could have been done much more tastefully. They spent a season showing us what a sadist Ramsay actually is. Um, all they had to do is show us the scene the next morning after the consummation, and Ramsay could just make a sly comment and show us his villain face, and you know Sansa could look down in agony. I, I I can't even agree with that. I I I I, I think that would actually be worse like I, I think if you show like a rape scene and or a drug uh someone getting overdosed on drugs and or a murder on 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 screen it's got to impact the viewer emotionally otherwise what's the point but the, the thing is there was no point in having her raped i mean and that was the biggest slap in the face for me personally as a viewer because sansa stark is a character who i've struggled with for years i mean if you go back and listen to our podcast season two season three i was so frustrated with her character because my argument was why can't she just be a little stronger? You know, why can't she just be, I'm not expecting her to be exactly like Arya, but just stand up for herself to some degree. And in this episode, we get this amazing scene, the best scene in the episode, by the way, where she's taking a bath and she stands up for herself. She's like, I am Arya Stark. Uh, this is my home, Winterfell, and you cannot frighten me. And I was like, well, why couldn't she have done something at the very end of the episode and or reek? Like, why? Like, I mean, there's a million ways that the writers could have found a way to stop the rape sequence, right? There is a million ways. It, there could have been an army marching in. A freaking light could have, a candle could have, like, fallen over and started a fire. I mean, think about it. There's a million ways that they could have avoided the actual sex scene. Because, yes, they're going to get married, and it's expected that she's going to have sex with this character. But they chose not to. Well, and it's almost like it punishes her for that moment of confidence, like, you can't terrify me. Oh, but you can brutally rape me. Right. And and last week I was complaining about one of the things that I was sick about from watching Game of Thrones is the reoccurring torture of Theon Greyjoy and Sansa Stark. I was like, I don't need to see any more torture, be it physically or emotionally, of 
Theon Greyjoy or Sansa Stark. I get it. In this episode, they do, they do this, and this is why when I when I listened back to the podcast last week, and a lot of people a lot of people agreed with me, right? Few people were kind of upset because I'm being Mr. Negative. Well, you know what? I proved I'm right once again. Once again, I am right. I'm sorry. The show writers, I do not. You're right, Kate. I do not have faith in the show writers because we've given them one chance, two chances, three chances. This is like a repeated offense. And they never, ever make anything out of these rape sequences. Like, it never leads to, to anything, like, with the character. Like, it's just like, I, I, I bet you, like, next week, it's not even going to be mentioned and or implied. Well, and I think um, there's a couple things here. First of all, I trust the writers to end up incorporating Arya back into the narrative in a way we don't expect. I trust them to have um, interesting things come of uh, of Brienne and Pod or of um, you know what's going on with the sparrows. I do not trust them when it comes to gender issues, and I really don't trust them when it comes to rape on this show. Because, like you said, Ricky, they've shown us time and again that they are not interested in Fallout. They they are not interested in how somebody like Jamie or Cersei is changed. In season one, they took a scene from the book with Danny and Drogo that was not rape. It was obviously rape because she's so much younger; she cannot consent. But it was not a an attack on Danny in the books uh, on her wedding night with Drogo and they made it a rape, made it straight up. Clearly, obviously that is rape. Um, but then they use that to, to show a progression of the character over the course of the season and really um, show her journey from uh, someone else's property to her own individualized, self-actualized person. Um, since then they have not done that at all. And when you look at like, if you're going to use this kind of violence and, something that the show has struggled with so consistently and gotten so much justified um, criticism for, there needs to be a reason that this is happening. And when I think of this storyline, and not based on things I've read in the books, but just as a television viewer, as someone who's seen a lot of TV, and unfortunately has seen way too many characters get raped on TV, um, the only possible reason I can think of that they needed to do this was if they're going to do a rape baby storyline. Yeah, that's what I thought of, too. I was like, she's going to get pregnant. Because last week they mentioned that his, um, I don't know if it's his mom or his, his mother-in-law, she's pregnant and he's hes worried that she might have a boy. And if she has a boy, then he might lose his power. And so I was thinking that, too. But still, we don't know. We know that Ramsey was a product of rape. And so that, right. like, there could be a tie there. Um, however. But, 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 but the thing is, you know what? Even though he's this evil, terrible character, I thought, you know, here's me being naive and stupid, giving the show writers too much benefit of the doubt. Like, I thought, well, maybe because he's a child of rape, maybe because Sansa Stark in his eyes is special and different from, say, the stable girl that he's having sex with. Like, maybe he's actually going to. Who knows? Maybe he's actually not going to rape her. <laughs> and maybe they're going to try to make it more complicated than that. Oh, yeah, because, because maybe yeah. if he wants to have a son, because, you know, he does have a good relationship with his dad. You know, despite the fact that you hate these characters and they are terrible people, Roose Bolton is actually a good dad to his son. And so maybe he wants to have a son who's not a victim of rape and he wants to raise this boy because he's going to be proud of his son. Who knows? I mean, even the most despicable people in the world still have honor within their family within their bloodline you know there's well, a million the point is there's a million ways yeah. they could have changed the writing of this specific scene 
And once again, defend it all you like. I'm sorry they decided to have yet again another rape scene, which made me as a viewer feel absolutely terrible when the episode ended. Well, and again, there's no need for it. She has plenty of motivation to hate the to to hate Ramsey, she doesn't need to be spurred on by now she's a victim of abuse, so she's really gonna defend you know try to get back Winterfell and the fact that we talked about this already, the camera shows her, but then focuses on Reek on Theon on his experience in this moment, which is horrible. Don't get me wrong, but makes it makes her rape about him, yeah that is terrible and again Theon at this point Reek has gone through so much and has seen so many women brutalized by this guy that one more shouldn't change anything I don't know I I just I and we've been talking about this a lot I I don't know Victor if you want to chime in again but when I think of the the purpose of this it feels like the purpose is to piss off viewers so that we so this time it's personal for the viewers because the characters have plenty of motivation well, they were also building up that Ramsey was actually attracted to Sansa, and why would his his lover on the side be so jealous of Sansa when she's just going to be another victim of abuse? Like, there, there's so many different ways they could. I hope, I hope that they're all doing this for a reason. I hope maybe they're anticipating the fan reaction and they're trying to just bait us into a gotcha moment. But at this point, I don't think we can give the show that much credit. I think it's just shock value that they're going for right now but, but which know, is unforgivable as far as i'm concerned at this point on the show i, I agree and, and you know what you know what you just said victor is if you listen to episode i think it was the third or fourth podcast we did this season of the tv show i actually said that i thought that ramsey actually you know like you said he actually valued her he actually thought she was special he was going to treat her differently because otherwise what's the point like she's no different than every single girl he slept with prior and that's exactly what they do. They told it was like I was like, really, guys? Like I, I just expected. I'm sorry, I expected better writing from this crew. This, this, this is a very, very talented professional crew of writers who work on one of the most successful shows on one of the most successful networks. I expected better. Well, and it, what it also does is it underlines this thread uh, throughout the series of the only way is to be a woman in this world and not get raped is to be a man is to wear pants and become a fighter and adopt masculine traits. So that's what stopped Brienne uh, or have a man intercede on your behalf as Jamie did for her. Or so, so we have Brienne as a symbol of strength, but again, because she adopts the masculine root, we have Arya, you know, masquerade as a boy and then go, you know, try to go to become an assassin, you know, again, a, typically to adopt a typically masculine approach in in her lifestyle and then all the all the women on this show that uh, accept and embrace forms of femininity are now victims of rape because cersei was i i think we can say uh basically raped by by robert she had the way when, when she describes her her wedding night and the times that she has uh been, had to sleep with robert it is never any way that makes it sound consensual uh and 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 the other i mean maybe marjorie you could say has had agency she hasn't had to sleep with someone she hasn't wanted to because she's such a player and and she's so involved in everything but to take sansa who's spent this entire show and this is something that's been a continuing frustration for especially my sister and i when we talk about it's like 
one of the most stressful parts of the show has been, okay, when is Sansa going to get raped? And they keep teasing that and they keep then saying, no, we're not going to do that to her. So with, with Joffrey, um, for, you know, for those who doubted Tyrion's character with, when, when she gets married off to Tyrion, um, and they're like, oh no, we were just waiting so that she could get raped in the most brutal way possible, guys. Um, I just like to double back to your point about women and sexuality on the show, and point out that Melisandre is it Melisandre? Melisandre. Yeah. Yeah. Her superpower comes from having sex with men, powerful men. She has to find powerful men, have sex with them, and she can make magic creatures come out of her. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is a show where if you are not a sexual being then you're going to be at least at the very, and you're a woman, you're at the very least going to get threatened with rape. So you have, um, Marjorie is a very sexual being. She uses sex as part of her arsenal, um, and part of her scheming. And you have certain, you know, and you have Melisandre who is very similar in that way. She manipulates men through sex. So Sansa was the only female character on the show who didn't do that, who we didn't see doing that. And, and so of course she had for that, she gets punished. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know I know some people are arguing the fact that Sansa Stark, although she's been in some terrible situations in the past, like, you know, she was at King's Landing, she was a prisoner, basically, the King Joffrey, she got married to Tyrion, and yet she avoided being raped for so long, so it was eventually going to happen. The problem That is, is bullshit, they, in my this, opinion. I totally agree, but the problem, again, is we are going by the history of the TV show and what we've already seen and seen them not do and do, and... And I don't see them doing anything in the near future to to make me think that this was actually a wise decision, decision on the part of the writers and director of this episode. Um, there, there's no last minute rescues on this TV show. You know, we 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 quickly learned the hard way back in season one when Ned Stark got his head chopped off. Right. So we're not expecting someone to necessarily sweep in and save Sansa Stark at the very last minute. But again, I just don't think it was needed. And I think we can all agree that it wasn't needed. You know, like even if she does have a baby, um, I just like this is a change made from the actual book, which is what really pisses me off the most. Like knowing that it's a change from the book. And I knew it was a change from the book before I watched the episode because I don't know much about the books, but I do know in the book that she never marries uh, Ramsey Bolton. They deliberately made this change and they made it in a way like I don't know if she's raped in the book. I have no idea. Like maybe I should ask the question: Is she raped in the book? She's not here. She's in. She's in the Vale, hanging out, like waiting for Littlefinger to do stuff. Right, but prior to that, like what we've already seen on the TV show, without no. okay, so she's not even raped in the book. No, she's she's saved from from being attacked by the crowd by the Hound. You know, in that in that riot early in season uh, was it season one, season two? Like yeah, okay, rape is supposed to upset viewers, but I'm not upset because the character is getting raped on a TV show and I care about the character. I'm getting upset because of the decision by the writers. Not, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference. There's a, well, and I would also point to, this was a very assaulty or rapey uh, week of television. I would point to a show like Outlander that has broached uh, difficult time periods for women and rape and assault and done a much, much better job of it. I would point to a show like Spartacus, which is ha has the rape of slaves and of people of less power by those with power. Uh, very engages with that very actively, uh, especially as it goes along. Um, this is not the way. If you want to have a discussion 
about rape if you want to have that be part uh, like be something that happens in in your narrative to uh for for to to develop to push the characters to different places that they couldn't go any other way or because it has to happen for this that or the other to to motivate new lines of the plot or or to to change the character fundamentally because they need something so extreme to happen to them that they can no longer go back to who they were before that is different there's there are ways that you can do that and not have it feel exploitative and have it feel like again in this case for me she chose to stay with Littlefinger instead of going with Brienne, and so she gets raped. That's it. Just again, it feels and and it, who knows? Because like I said, there's so much more of the story to come. It feels wrong to even really be putting too much of an opinion out there because we may have to take it all back. I doubt it, but it could happen. However, we do have a podcast to put out this week. We've made that contract with our listeners, so right now this is what it, how it feels. Yeah, and, and and this goes back to what I said way back in season three when we talked about the Cersei and Jaime Lannister and ended up being like an hour and a half discussion. And my point was, well, it's episodic, so we don't know where it's going. But at the same time, I think viewers have a right to react to what they saw. And if it makes them feel terrible, they have every right to feel terrible and express why they feel terrible. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing I would like more. Besides, you know, going back in time and having the writers not choose to do this, um, then for then to be proven wrong and to have my faith restored in these writers and the showrunners and to have this, you know, to be completely wrong about this. I would love if that would were to happen. I can't see how it possibly will, but I would love for that to happen. So who knows? But um, let's, I guess, wrap up. We've gone long this week. Let's let's wrap up there. Do we have any final thoughts about the episode? Uh, or, or what's coming for the rest of the season, Victor? I just feel like this season, it, it's despite the episode we just saw, it's my favorite season so far. I actually feel like the show is building a forward momentum. And again, in spite of what we saw, I feel this has been a more optimistic season. I feel that the characters um, actually feel like they have a chance to make a difference. Um, like Littlefinger said to Sansa, they're, they're not victims anymore. They're being more proactive they're asserting their will on the the continent of westeros so um i hope that the next few episodes can wipe that bad taste from my mouth ricky how about you yeah it's 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 my least favorite season so far and th i'm not saying that meaning like there it's been terrible you know for all six episodes i think we've had a lot of highlights uh i just feel a little underwhelmed with what is going on over at dorn and with Arya's storyline and some of my favorite characters are dead and some of my favorite parents have been separated so you know even the the braun and jamie buddy buddy cop road trip movie whatever you want to call it like nowhere compares to like jamie and brianne for example or you know some of the great parents we had in the past and you know even Varys and Tyrion were separated too 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 quickly in my opinion so it's my least favorite season i'm very very upset with last night's episode specifically the last scene i'm hoping for the best in the last four episodes i'm not entirely sure what they could do at this point to re redeem themselves in my book um but you know it's like it's like we said last week kate is that each and every single season of of, uh, of Game of Thrones, it, it leads up to specifically like the second last episode. The penultimate episode is like the big episode, and it all leads to this big epic, uh, not not just like battle sequence or not just like a big reveal or a big surprise, but something big and huge usually happens on that that second last episode becomes like the game changer. And I don't know, like I'm hoping for the best. You know, we got four episodes left to go, but not exactly the biggest fan of the show right now. 
Yep. And um, I think my thoughts on the season are a little too complicated or jumbled right now um, to really go into, but I hope to have a turnaround next week. I hope that this show does not do with Sansa what they did with Cersei and completely have her never mention it again, not have her, her behavior or her uh, decisions or her character affected by, you know, her rape. Um, and I really hope I can just wash this horrible taste out of my mouth because like you said, Ricky, we are committed to finishing the season of this podcast. So I would like to be able to talk about this show and, uh, and not dread doing so every week for the next four weeks. So we'll see what happens, uh, next week. We're going to be back to talk about season five, episode seven, the gift, uh, written by David Benioff and DB Weiss and directed by Miguel uh, Sapochnik. Probably got that wrong. Um, I apologize, Miguel, if I got your name wrong. Um, like we've like we've already said, fingers crossed, something else is headed our way. But for now, thank you all for listening. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Victor. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Victor J. Steph. Okay, and Ricky, what's going on at some of the site this week that we should mention? Uh, well, we're covering the Cannes Film Festival. We have a monthly theme in which we're focusing on action films, and we're we're releasing ten posts. Which basically, we're releasing a huge article separated into ten posts, which lists the hundred greatest action scenes in movies. There's uh, there's a lot going on. Um, tons of TV coverage. Uh, if you like video games, our video game section is expanding, and uh, I think that's about it. You can follow me on Twitter at Sound On Sight. Do give us a like on Facebook if you like our podcast and our website, and uh, you can follow us on Tumblr as well. Yep, and uh, I look forward to everyone else's thoughts about this episode. Please reach out. You can find me on Twitter at The Televerse, and um, you can hear we talk a little bit about this episode on my weekly TV podcast, The Televerse, because my co-host Simon Howell, uh, you know, has his thoughts on this episode as well. But um, please let us know where you're at with it, and if this is getting if if what happens this week uh, was enough to get you to break up with the show, um, or if you know, you disagree. Yeah, If you're one of those people in the, out there who doesn't think that was rape, because I've seen that argued and bandied about, just don't write in. But otherwise, I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on, on this episode and, and what's c- to come this season. So uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Sound on State Game of Thrones podcast.
to give up her ears, her nose, her tongue. Her hopes and dreams, her loves and hates, all that makes a girl who she is. Forever. No. A girl is not ready to become no one. But she's ready to become someone else.
dresses that you wear sway around to the cadence of your voice when you sang there.